It's the dog father of movies. In honor of Peabody and Sherman, what's your favorite movie dog? I'm Katie Rich, and I'm going with Shadow from Homeward Bound because he was the oldest of the pets, and I was too, and I enjoyed our shared wisdom. It's me, David the Seven. If I'm honest, it's Beethoven the St. Bernard, fucking up Google searches of musicians for years to come. I'm Matt Patches, and I'm going to go with Zero from Nightmare Before Christmas because he's dead. And I'm David Ehrlich, and I'm going to go with Air Bud, because Air will be Bud. Now you're like stealing from your trivia. Oh, yeah. stealing <laughs> no, a never trivia team. I think it's more of a shout-out. More of a shout-out. Thievery. Wow. Harsh. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine, too, eh? Good, then, well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine, then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello, and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 13, for Tuesday, March 4th, 2014. This week, instead of me begging you for more iTunes reviews, I'm going to tell you to give us more iTunes reviews, and David is going to tell you the people who have given them in the last week. Yeah, thank just uh, a quick thank you very much to the following people who went on Fighting in the War Room's iTunes page and left us reviews. They are Jay Schiffma, Derrific, The Crab Thing, the completely unbiased Fighting in the War Room fan, <laughs> 00-40H, who we're hoping is human, but really it doesn't matter one way or the other. Uh, Hanabatake.com, which I'm going to be visiting as soon as I finish writing. That's the segment. porn site that I run. <laughs> and <laughs> Amazing Bass 13. Thank you guys all very much, and we'd love it if, uh, if the rest of you could go on iTunes and leave us a review. We will talk about you on the show and say something profoundly unwitty about your name. talk about the oscars because they were on sunday night and they are fresh in all of our minds and hopefully you are you have not listened to so many podcasts about the oscars that you're already over it because you know what this is a fascinating show it can be a dumb award show but there are things of interest to talk about as we learned when we had an email thread going about this and found ourselves disagreeing just like automatically by instinct i guess that's what we do at this point in fighting in the war room's life so we want to start by everyone basically bringing to the table either a bone to pick with the Oscars or something that they want to talk about in general. This will be our entire show. We're going to give it over, kind of have just a mini Oscars rundown. And I want to start with Dave because I feel like you actually, despite some unpopular opinions that might come up later, your bone to pick with the Oscars is something I think we can actually all agree on. Oh, yeah. I think this year they kind of failed to make it, like, to put on a show. Like, other award shows like the Grammys and the Tonys seem to have learned that you're honoring artists, so you might as well just put them up and perform. And I realize that would be hard with film, 
but it still felt like using Ellen DeGeneres ordering pizza from the audience for three segments and having a Somewhere Over the Rainbow sung by Pink and a Wind Beneath My Wings sung by Bette Midler was just all sort of a little blah in terms of the whole putting on a show and not really using the stuff about movies that would put on a good sort of live performance or a good telecast, really. And it, I, I don't know, that's always could be a bone that I could pick with the Oscars, but sometimes uh, even the stuff that I dislike is evidence of them trying. And this year I just sort of felt like there could have been one more effort passed to try to do something cool or flashy. I'm not exactly well, like, sure what that would be. But that's the problem. Like, what could it be? I'm, well, I always like try and envision winging, something. The, I mean, the montage is woof. I mean, just the worst. Hey, don't, don't preempt my complaints <laughs> Okay, sorry. Here. We'll get there later. <laughs> but, I mean, Ellen DeGeneres, so I think is a perfectly competent host. It felt like her, her uh, shtick was just to sort of wing it and see what happens. I mean, they had no opening song and dance, which I did not miss, to be perfectly honest. Although I could have oh, got for some more jokes. But, um, uh, you know, her material seemed to be just sort of like wander through the audience, see what happens. Have a pizza bit and stretch it out to the breaking point and beyond. Or just sell Samsung shit and have it go viral and have these be the social media Oscars, which I think uh, is a role that suits Ellen very well. I mean, yeah, I, I think that would... Oh, go, that part really seemed weird to me, especially because part of me enjoyed it because it sort of showed the, I don't know, cultural weight that a cinematic event can still have, regardless of what film we're celebrating. Like the fact like that, it, that they got retweeted so much? Yeah, like it could break Twitter just like a presidential election can break Twitter, I think is an interesting statement. But it, the way it was presented, like David said, is sort of like this weird Samsung egg and cramming celebrities together is, I think, something else entirely. Yeah, if you're someone who finds yourself defending the idea that the Oscar that anybody cares about the Oscars, then, you know, there's plenty of people who make that argument. I did like that selfie as an argument being like, no, you guys are all watching it. You may pretend that you don't like it or you may not like it, but people are actually paying attention. And I actually, I like the selfie moment and some of that winged stuff. But Dave, I... I'm curious to hear from you what other Oscar examples you think do a better job of putting on a show because it, it unlike the Grammys it's not about an art form that can easily be brought up on stage and performed for you as an audience at home that's true I mean from this uh show this year specifically it seemed ridiculous to me that they would abbreviate let it go yes um, when they let you know those other two musical numbers I mentioned before kind of go on but and something also... was wrong with let it go Right? I mean, something was like, it was derailing. Yeah, I, I wonder if Adina Menzel had like a cut cue where she'd be like, this isn't going well, get me out of here as fast as you can. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think she could hear the music I, correctly or she wasn't feeling well or was nervous. Something was, uh, well, John Travolta, John Travolta have, didn't I've, help, I've, of course. I've heard, I've heard rumors that they didn't necessarily tell her how fast they were speeding the song up uh, and it it sounded that just way. sort of went out there and then not only that was then immediately sort of also derailed by john travolta john being travolto crazy. i think is the uh, correct john event. travolto but sort of that sort of combination but i also in terms of past oscars I am a defender of that crazy ass shadow puppetry thing they did that one year oh, yeah. with all the people who are making things out of their bodies. <laughs> yes, I yeah, I'm with you. That was that was a diverting, you know, like I don't know, three minutes that didn't seem 
like that essential to filmmaking, but it was sort of like an attempt to do something to catch my attention, and it certainly did, I, which I think is the better way to air in the t- case of a telecast. But do you, I miss do you all think the interpretive it, dances to the scores. Do, do we really like need two, all yeah. the fluff? Like, would it be as interesting if it just kind of ran down the list and maybe had a few? Well, I mean, even it would last like half an hour. Even the years so? where the costume designers got to like have their costumes come out on stage when their category was, you know, called. It was at least that little extra something that wasn't, you know, like, ooh, look at all those typewriters we managed to find. <laughs> all the living typewriters. In one Although place. it was very interesting how little accoutrement they had to sacrifice in order to let all of the winners say their piece and not yes. play them off after... 30 seconds. I mean, that was sat, such a I mean, welcome change. Oh, yes. I think only one year, or two people really got played off. I didn't even notice any of them. The and short, the year, short animation, the French duo. Oh, I think yeah. they. And got I think Alfonso Cuarón, when he won for editing, he stepped up to talk, and then he was just played off immediately. Well, uh, last awesome. year, I mean, people were being played off right from the beginning in very cruel ways. He was like, "I want to talk about my mother who's dead," and they were like, "No, no, no," and and the show had to lose so little. I mean, beyond an opening number uh which of course they filled that time with like you know endless pizza pit four times over but it it was i think now that they've showed how possible it is to comfortably fit in fully realized speeches where people are not rushed within the inch of their life for the most important or you know climactic in a way moment of their lives uh i think it's gonna be really hard to go back to that i think if the next producers decide they want to play everyone off it's gonna rankle that much harder yeah, I agree with you on I, that. I agree. And it seems like everybody was basically respectful of that leeway, even like in extreme examples. Like, I don't think Matthew McConaughey was that bad. Yeah, they must no. have told the nominees, like, we're not going to play you off after 30 seconds anymore, but you have to keep it within Don't reason. abuse the privilege. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the, the let it go people definitely expected to win and had that had that rehearsed and down. I don't uh, mind that. If people know that they're going to win, why not, you know? Cute no, I think it, I think it worked out. You should be offended their... by that speech. They called for Frozen Two. Did they? I, mean, I, I should be offended. What? Anyone you don't who think enjoys that's happen? anyone who enjoys Frozen should be offended by their speech. Why would you it call is for now a sequel the, to your movie? It is now. It's higher grossing than The Lion King. So Frozen Two is happening King, whether they ask for it or not. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah but if they ask for it, it's shameless. What the, is the same day that the movie crossed a billion dollars? I'm the, sure. What was the phrasing? Were they like, "Please, God in heaven, let there be a Frozen Two? Or they're like, "Hi, there's an." I, I will. Be a I will look this up. Billion fucking dollars. They said, "Please, Frozen Two as part of a rhyme that they were doing." Because so their much rhymes speech. with Frozen Two patches. It's just a reality of poetry. Tons of things rhyme. <laughs> uh, patches. I want to move on to you because you had another thing about pomp and circumstance. Yeah, well, speaking to what Dave was kind of talking about here, you know, if if the show is going to honor movies, I don't really understand why it seems to fail every year at honoring movies. Like, I feel like I'm the the AFI top one hundred villain type uh, clip show specials that run once a year are, are a better tribute to movies than the Oscars for some reason because they always want to you know, do these highlight reels of movies and last night's were atrocious. Like they're they're totally slapped together with no rhyme or reason. I think last last night's or two nights ago's um one of them was about heroes. Was that the theme of the whole show? Oh my God. Uh, that was the yes. theme of the show. So there were heroes... different heroes montages. Wait, there was the, there was the theme of the show? 
Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That was the, that was the yeah. Andrew Garfield was, was supposed to people uh, for <laughs> no no awarding ourselves. There's a bigger picture. There's a macro theme. Andrew Garfield was supposed to show up and like um, induct a superhero into the academy or something. And I he heard dissed, it was supposed. To, he dissed. I heard it. it was supposed to be Bat Kid. Oh my God! What? But I think that might have been a timing. Oh wait, thing. whoa, whoa, my, yeah, whoa, 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 whoa! I put up with weeks of Andrew <laughs> Garfield is going to announce some new superhero or whatever. And then nothing. I don't even remember Andrew Garfield being on the show. Yeah, no, he, he wasn't. ditched. He did not go. My guess, I, I assume it's not Andrew Garfield ditching. I assume they cut it for time. That's my guess. Um, uh, do I get refunded for my time? <laughs> <laughs> no, they're <laughs> adding another villain to Spider-Man, too. Oh, my God. Yes. In honor of that is awesome. <laughs> awesome news package. They could probably CG one in. Uh, anyway. Uh, the Man of Steel getting more airtime on the Oscar broadcast than Inside Lewin Davis because of that fucking montage. <laughs> well, their definition of hero was kind of stretched. I'm trying to recall everybody who was in it, but this wasn't their just... animated hero montage was ridiculous, which also didn't just include like... any Miyazaki. If I uh... and no, it was None, all really? the all the DreamWorks heroes. All yeah, of good them. thing Shrek and then gets like, his day in the sun. Yeah, but Snow White finding Nemo. Yeah, like the just the live action heroes or whatever. It, uh, someone joked uh, at the party I was at who said it's like it's a tribute to movies with protagonists. Yeah, um, <laughs> which <laughs> that's what it felt like. It's just a mishmash of movies. And but these montages, it seems like they could be more effective. How drawn to um, supercuts? That's I mean, we don't like supercuts that much. At least this crowd on this show doesn't. Um, but we've certainly does. seen montages of films done well. I'll point to David's own top twenty-five, which he I'll fucking cut one for the Academy. Had Let's to uh, <laughs> had to pimp one last time on Oscar night. He felt that was. The, that was the last moment he could pimp his video. Sorry, David, it's over. Um, I mean, I think I was right. <laughs> it's now going to be pulled down from Vimeo uh, for copyright infringement. What would make these montages good? What would make them specific and interesting and and uh, an actual tribute to the Oscars? I, I mean... Because they, I think there's a possibility. They could be good. We could be... I mean, we should be able to pay tribute to the movies by showing clips from movies. Well, I think the first step is that you have to have an actual theme. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, the protagonist yeah. doesn't cut it. Uh, I think that if you were to do, rather than honoring just The Wizard of Oz, why not do a tribute to the films of 1939, which is famously remembered as being one of, if not the greatest year in the history of Hollywood, and do a super cut, let's say, uh, of, of all of the pivotal films from that year, uh, rather than just having Pink, rather than Liza Minnelli, sing... A song from the Wizard of Oz. I mean, they've, that's just... done, they've done that before. There have been good montages on the Oscars when they really yeah. were just about whatever the year's movies. Were. I can't remember weird. that. I There's mean, kind of a general lack of interest <laughs> in the in last the decade movies during these awards, mm. which we might be able to talk about later. Like, who didn't think that Ellen was going to show up in a spacesuit, and it just didn't happen? Well, maybe that's for the best. Like, we don't I mean, need the Billy but Crystal still, stick. Like, well, but there's usually something. Like, there was just no references. None of the jokes were about the movies themselves, like, except for Jonah Hill's penis. It was very weirdly disconnected and i feel like that superheroes theme did like kind of continued that just making you think about movies in general and nothing specific about the ones that had actually come out i mean there was echoes of what makes i think good movie montages here like some of them had you know interesting editing moments where you know like 
someone would punch left and punch into another movie, but it was just set, like this actual material wasn't like David was saying, pushing any sort of theme. But I remember like even like ads that would cut together uh, like classic movies from the eighties that would run before like my local theater yeah. that would actually have like emotional impact just because it managed to know what an audience was thrilled by seeing. Whereas this one just sort of seemed like, you know, I don't know, a lot of weird black sports heroes being <laughs> compared to Indiana Jones. Yeah, yeah. there were like and- 18 clips of 42 in yeah. the in the oh hero montage. Yeah. yeah, it's. I mean, it felt very compelled to like, you know, properly represent races and different studios and, you know, various interests. Like, in the, I mean, that's probably always. But why not do, why, rather than a montage necessarily, why not do an interesting feature on Dorothy Dandridge? Or like, I mean, that's just an example of something to do with, with uh, you know, an African-American presence in or black as, as like Rolling Stone made the mistake of referring to Steve McQueen as an African-American. Um, oh, God, they, sh- they surely can't be the only ones. Yeah, but I mean, uh, you know, I think if there's something, you can use it as a, a form of edutainment. I mean, I'm trying to think of what the other nominees were, uh, but... Um, it seems yeah. like uh, people who would tune into the Oscars, I mean, I, there's always a worry that it's going to lose <laughs> the youth interest. But frankly, I think movie going audiences who tune into the Oscars want that golden age vibe. They yeah, want totally. to learn more. I mean, isn't this what Vanity Fair, that's why Vanity Fair is in business, right, Katie? This is like their bread and what, butter. People wanting to learn more about the golden age? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, just like the old-fashioned Hollywood and what times used to be. It's like one of the only times they'll watch black and white clips and of movies like during the oscars yeah that's, that's true there's about. also nothing in black and white like i think the oldest animated movie i mean dumbo was in there for half a second in that montage but it was weird like how also, long they lingered what, in the current decade was there no lifetime achievement award there yeah they hand those out during the uh, governor's awards now but, th- uh, but now they do yeah they that's been removed to. from the ceremony in the past few years yeah i mean that's definitely missed i mean i remember um uh didn't not Hal Hartley, uh, Hal Ashby. Didn't he win one a few years ago? Yeah, I mean they've had various and they, people, and then they do tributes to them. But that's one of the things they cut out because things were going on too long, and on you know in the name of you know pizza game. Yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily miss that. Yeah, but I mean it was never a highlight of the show for a lot of people. But it's also a great opportunity to to showcase the golden age or you know just a previous generation of filmmakers. Um, I, I think you know they, when they're making so little out of the current crop of nominees. I definitely thought they could have compensated by having a greater focus on the past, but uh... yeah, I w- I was wondering today whether I would switch off having the montages in exchange for having extended clips for like each of the nominees to like actually show off like parts of the movies. Well, like, they got rid of the clips for a couple of years, and this year they were back, and I was grateful for it. Yeah, no, I definitely enjoy them, but I would definitely. I, I'm I'm wondering if I would sacrifice the montages about like heroes in favor of like maybe i don't know didn't they used to do explanatory montages about like what visual effects and sound editing were yeah yeah also, I that's more loved a if we're talking about things that we missed from the broadcast i think <laughs> uh the song performances were whatever uh but i think they're missing a big opportunity to have selections from the scores that are nominated played by an orchestra uh, and I think that's much more of a spectacle, and especially something like the Moon Song, which is a bad song. Uh, even though I love, you know, Garrett, out of all the musicians there, I would, you know, 
much sooner listen to Karen O uh, than any of the other ones, but I don't think the Moon Song is a good song, and it's certainly boring as shit to see performed on the stage there. Uh, so like, <laughs> but they had a big have, moon. Yeah, but why not have why not have an orchestra come out and play selections from the nominated scores, and that'll be something. Of a why not have Robin itself. Williams come out and hum all the scores? Whatever. I think I think the year that happened, <laughs> I, I was asleep. No. Or the Gulf War was on. One of the two. It's but been they a while. have one orchestra. You know, they have the orchestra come out and do <laughs> Since a, I've slept. like a seven minute uh, melody. Yeah, uh, do it like a Fantasia. Yeah. Montage and play all the. Yeah. Anyway, I think the scores got short. D- David, do you have a specific gripe that you're bringing to the table? Uh, yeah, I think I have, I have one or two at the very least. Um, I first, <laughs> Wait, I David, this say. is not your chance to say the Oscars are worthless. Just okay. I, I for think the every day I wake up is my chance to say the Oscars <laughs> are worthless. Um, my first thing is actually a shout out to uh, Lupita Nyong'o's brother. Oh my God! Who, no! Oh, we're gonna argue about this. Who? I mean, I, I don't think in a million years, if I were in his shoes, unless this was all sort of. Uh, scripted beforehand, I would have had the sack to jump in there and block Angelina Jolie. I mean, the only uh, you know non-famous person in that uh, picture, which, which I think by in all likelihood will be his legacy on this earth. <laughs> in this selfie, but I think if our society is to have order, we should all know when we are not invited into celebrity selfies. I feel like he broke I, the social code. I am not I, happy about it. I could not believe, but at the same time, I mean, wow, I, I'm, yep. kind of, I'm kind of with you, Katie. But at the same time, I have to admire the chutzpah involved. It is chutzpah in, I, in doing that that he would think that that was okay. <laughs> I I respect it enormously. I love the idea of Liza Minnelli trying to jump over the back of them. And oh the my shot god, that heart is heartbreaking. Oh, that who photo gives from a behind. Shit. She's Liza Minnelli. She'll be fine. She hugged like, Katie. Young. You are you are arguing on the side of rich white people yeah. and what? their selfie rights. I'm arguing on the the uh, side of Lapita and her selfie rights too. It's not just white people. It's just about the people who are supposed to be in the selfie. You know what? Wait, I, wait. You're, you're talking about something that this, this is the, the artificial scarcity argument over and over again. Oh my God, who cares what? if one selfie? Who cares if one selfie's ruined? But it's the no, selfie. It's the there. selfie to end all selfies. I don't care if it's the selfie that's ruined. I'm just saying that there is a certain there is a extent to which you are invited or not invited, and it's a it's part of the plague of celebrity hangers on, where people who are in proximity to famous people just try to shove themselves in it. You've all seen it at junkets a million times. Look, yeah, it's not right. it's not his fault. He was not even going to be in the picture, and Angelina Jolie actually thought it was her son. So this is like okay. The, okay. the eighth variation of that joke ever in the last. Wait, really? Yeah. I have not oh, heard that no. joke before. Like, oh, they're looking at her like they want to adopt her. Great, they heard it at the fucking Independent Spirit Awards. The fucking what? Oh, wow, I didn't this realize is, this no, was no, such no, an no, old I, racist I, joke. It's not, it's not the same as a Brad Balfour situation at a junket. He has okay. been. No one understands uh, what you're talking about right now. That is inside baseball. He, that he is. has been. What is what? How are you defining I mean, I, that term so my, for our my audience? My friend Ben is a is apparently I I go to film school. We're with him. gonna name drop. No, I don't know it. him. I don't know him very well. He's a very nice guy. He is apparently best friends in the world with Peter Nyong'o. He was her date to the Golden Globes. She thanked him from the stage yesterday. He's been Instagramming photos uh, all weekend of him hanging out with the the whole cast and team of Twelve Years a Slave. And I think that like at a certain point, if you've been through this whole whirlwind. Uh, yeah, maybe it's a little different at the Oscars, but I mean, like Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie are part of that team. They've all been there. I think that Lupita Nyong'o's brother 
is thinking like here these are you know it's not the same of star fuckery and jumping he's like these are people i've been eating and drinking with and having a good time with for the whole oscar yeah i can't believe this is an issue let the man in the picture let the man let the man in the picture all right decent argument about living the dream together still doesn't belong in the selfie i'm I'm just surprised that katie stood up for selfie rights or something (laughs) no i'm standing up for knowing when you're invited it's all about manners okay well the social code of the selfie yes katie's wishes let me get on the shitting on things <laughs> Number one thing is the reaction to John Travolta's fuck up. Uh, I yeah, you've been really John coming Tra- to his defense on Twitter. I, I John Travolta's fuck up is absolutely hilarious. Don't get me wrong. Like I've had a lot of fun with the name generator and just like how obvious it was. And it's John Travolta. Like who likes John Travolta? I don't know. I certainly don't. But. <laughs> My impression from what I can gather together is that John Travolta has had a lifelong and very public battle with dyslexia. Is he hilariously mistaken into thinking that Scientology can cure him of his dyslexia, much in the same way as he immediately turned to Scientology uh, as someone would any other religion after the uh, tragic death of his son? Yes. Uh, it, I think that John Travolta should probably seek different guidance for his problem. However, as best I can tell, this is a classic dyslexical moment uh which can either stem from him reading it or it could be uh a problem getting the syllables of adina menzel's name mixed up in his head um and i think that to attribute it to carelessness which people seemed happy to do uh is ridiculous because i don't care how long you're in a movie star when you're talking in front of a billion people i'm sure there's a little preparation involved even though they often encourage you not to memorize your shtick because it plays a lot better if you read the uh the cue cards um but I think as funny as it was, that I, I will laugh at anything, no matter how crude or uh, at whom. And so, like, I'm not particularly appalled that people are laughing at a moment of dyslexia. But I think the blame at his feet is appalling to me. I think it could be, uh, it, it, it could be something potentially. There are millions of kids out there who have dyslexia who are struggling with it, who develop social anxieties as a result of it. And I think it could be a major step back for, for the whole – Unless movie, really. they never learn that he has dyslexia and they laugh at him and, and it I empowers like them anyone, to overcome. I think that no. anyone who has dyslexia and suffers for it immediately recognizes what's happening. Oh, sure. Um, and I don't think that – I think to see the reaction on, on Twitter and whatnot is uh, – Don't you think this probably... plays this like weird schadenfreude – thing we have with celebrities especially at these award shows you know like yeah, we're waiting for I, them to know, fall down or make a mistake and it's going to become yeah, a and meme and the extent of it uh, the extent of his fuck up i mean like i mean it was like it was obvious that he wanted it. i mean it's like mispronouncing the name john travolta like it feels like a famous enough name that you would just well, no, know it it's not that. a reading thing for me, it's, it's like a the, name this no, really for me, it's more the severity of the name it's not like he, it was like john travolta it was like i mean you know, i hear i hear I hear what you're saying about the seriousness of dyslexia, but what you said earlier about professionalism, it seems like you that the only evidence we have is evidence of either a dyslexic episode or carelessness. But I'm not sure where I the evidence of professionalism There's not a, there's no amount of uh there's no amount of preparation in the world that could uh you know, if it is a dyslexic episode that could that could uh, anticipate that or prevent that. I think that's just something that happens. Maybe the nerves. 
I don't know. I'm not in George Rodefold's head. I'm not. I mean, his... it's a guy whose job it is is to basically go places and look a certain way people tell him to and say the things they tell him to say. So I just, I just thought the blame was weirdly misplaced. I think it was very funny in an unfortunate way that we can laugh at anyone for anything. But uh, I thought that the like the anger towards him and the spite was really uncomfortable for me. It was like <laughs> Zac Efron completely fucked up and couldn't read the thing it wasn't as spectacular well, a fuck up but like he's he's a lot uh we expect that it's because it's it's, it's the theater people it's because he it's he, because, because he, he fucked up adina menzel's name yeah yeah it was that that particular name they realized that no I, one I, in their right mind would know adina menzel's name because no one in hollywood really cares about her so it was really defeating yeah. for the theater community <laughs> no, it was really. It was this is severity. so psychological yeah, it was really the severity of the fuck up that was what made it so john funny. travolta it's like nowhere he's close John Travolta uh, is just, the Yellow King. I think we. Can yeah. all it's weird. It's it's weird to be told that I should be feeling bad for John Travolta. I'm not saying you should be feeling bad. There's not a part of me that does for John Travolta. I'm just saying there's enough shit in the Oscars you can hate on that you don't have to have any like genuine sort of animosity towards somebody who has a known uh, disability, even albeit a minor one, but something that can have very lasting psychological effects. It just seemed like you know laugh at it because it's funny, uh, but to la to sort of. So the blame was really discomforting for me to watch. Well, David, uh, you're taking away all of the things I enjoyed being mad about from the Oscars. <laughs> Thank you for that. I'm sorry. And on the other side, uh, I have a little beef with Matthew McConaughey's speech. Um, Matthew oh. McConaughey, I think, has shot the McConaughey's in the face. Uh, he has given a string of god-awful <laughs> awards. I mean, his speech at the Independent Spirit Awards was literally 10 to 12 minutes long. I mean, I went I watched a whole South uh, SNL bit during it. It came back, and he was still going on. And it was awful. And Jared Leto has been the torchbearer for god-awful insensitive speeches for a shitty Dallas Buyers Club, which is, you know, a foolish Matt Patches went out there and declared that no matter what, Dallas Buyers Club is pro-queer. But I think I have a... I like that. I like when I make that uh, statement. You actually (laughs) sick queer writers on me like you you actually throw me (laughs) under the bus and and have people attack me visibly on twitter are you saying david has gay henchmen that's (laughs) it was the authority with which she was like clearly this movie was pro queer and i was like i thought this movie was deeply regressive and i was glad that i have a chorus of people who have a lot more authority on the subject than i do uh who i've been reading over the past few months about this movie who i knew would take should that but help you know not in a, in a malicious way but in an explanatory way i anyway, mean i can have uh, my opinion on that and 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 you can you and can. i don't want to defend uh, myself on twitter okay. let's anyway, make this about this, just got, this so, got personal i'm, I'm, so I'm still a, laughing at shitty matt patches <laughs> there is a long love you matt patches there's a long and uh sorted history between uh religious groups and uh, how HIV has been treated in the queer community, and a lot of this is ongoing, especially in other parts of the world, like Uganda. And I certainly, I want to make it clear, I do not begrudge, even though I happen to be uh, fiercely agnostic, at least, I do not begrudge people going up there and uh, thanking God, even though my eyes roll immediately. That's my thing, whatever. I don't hold it against Matthew McConaughey, um, although uh, the woman from 20 Feet from Stardom, I fucking hate it. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Uh, but... Um, I think to talk about God at that length and then completely ignore by omission the history of HIV and AIDS and the community and everything else was just a bad look. I think it really – when the God stuff underlined the omission of talking about the victims of the AIDS epidemic um, and the ongoing ramifications 
And then, you know, the cherry on the cake was him talking about how he is his own hero from 10 years in the future, whatever. I think Matthew McConaughey has been revealed himself to be a phenomenal actor. But uh, I'm going to go with Jordan Hoffman here and say that all actors are monsters and these people should never be allowed to write their own material. Uh, yeah, to me, this is like actor reveals himself to be an egotist. Yeah, because like the whole like, of course, charm, everyone is like, but they're all like that. They just the some of them hide it better of the than reconnaissance. The whole thing about Matthew McConaughey is that he's sort of like fell into his genius he's like so casual about it. he's like all right all right all right which you know it's disgusting to watch him co-op that is his own catchphrase let other people do that for you anyway uh you know the whole charm of this particular actor is that it's very laid back about it and just like not um posturing and this whole speech was just like the antithesis of what you wanted matthew mcconaughey to say and i i I don't want to be that guy who really gives a shit about speeches, but I, as someone who loves Matthew McConaughey and has really been enjoying his work in True Detective and thought that he was great in an awful movie, Dallas Buyers Club, and thought he'd been great in a bunch of really good things over the past few years, uh, was like I was struck by how disappointed I was in the speech. I I, I want to respond to this, but I don't want to be chastised by oh, you, do David. it, do so it. You, Shitty Matt Badgett. You, you need Shitty to calm Matt. yourself Matt before, before speaking. It's not me. It's my henchman. Give me, give me a chance to speak here. So on one hand, I mean, I totally understand. When we were talking about this on Twitter the night of the Oscars, I was mostly playing devil's advocate because do I wish there was a mention of, of – the HIV epidemic and the history and what he what allowed him to play this part and the history that uh, Dallas Buyers Club attempted to delve into. Yes, I wish I wish there was a mention of that. Um, but on one hand, I also feel like McConaughey. I mean, no one watches the Indie Spirit Awards, so b- despite giving this <laughs> speech <do>. several times. <laughs> This is the only time that McConaughey fans are watching McConaughey get to soak up the glory of the McConaissance, um, which McConaissance, means McConaissance. I'm sorry, um, which means I do think he gets his his moment in the sun and is allowed to be egotistical and give a speech that's like, man, I I've, I've been working hard, and I actually don't find his whole like I am my own hero thing to be that egotistical because that's just his backwards way of saying he's trying to chase ambition and be a better per- person every year. You know, there is no being a hero or having a hero. He's always chasing. Um, and I'm okay with that. I don't think that's a, that obnoxious. Um, but of course, and, and, but to feel like that's my he can't, for <laughs> yeah, exactly. He, to feel like he has to say something about it. I think it was a little misguided and only, becomes more treacherous in the eyes of the people who hate Dallas Buyers Club because I I, I do think Dallas Buyers Club is pro-queer, but I think that the surroundings of Dallas Buyers Club, the context of which it arrives, um, doesn't know favors. You know, a lot of the critiques that um, people responded to me with or the writings that you referred to earlier, David, I think is a lot about the industry and the way that uh, the HIV epidemic and, um, and, and, and the queer movements of, of the past have been portrayed in mainstream media or haven't been. And here's the movie where we get to discuss these topics and it's about Matthew McConaughey, straight guy. Um, but this is the story that it's telling and I, I, I can't um, write off the movie because of that. Uh, it's an industry problem. I think you should write off the movie because of the movie. I don't think you should write off the movie because of the speech. Well, I, I just don't think it was a great speech. No, I know. But what I'm saying is what 
um, the, the, the hate for the speech, I think, having witnessed a lot of reactions to it, stems from a dislike for Dallas Buyers Club, which stems from a problem that people have with the industry. So I don't really blame Matthew McConaughey and these kind of um, really, really venomous reactions to his speech last the other night. Um, it seems to stem from a much bigger topic that is beyond just, Dallas Buyers Club, which I think people are beginning to to lose sight of. It would have been so easy, I think, is the thing. Is that like he spent so much time talking about himself and God and all those other, other things. It would have been so easy as Lupita Nyong'o's you know pitch perfect speech illustrated, uh, just to go up there and and. Mentions. I mean, she. I couldn't have said it better than than she did about just how uh, you know the, her success and her joy came on the back of a lot of hardship. I mean, I think even if uh, even in the event, and I, I don't think this is true of her speech at all, but even in the event that it's just lip service, uh, it goes a long way. And I think it's important to to just show. Well, well, and Jared you know, Leto added that element into his. Yeah, even Jared Leto, who has he been learned. so terrible. Has well, has and then he went too far and started talking about like the Ukraine. You talked about like, yeah, oh, okay, that was yeah. odd. Aren't, aren't we really talking about whether or not Matthew McConaughey lived up to our idea of what we thought Matthew McConaughey was? Yes, absolutely. Be- yeah, but I still think no matter who he is or who I want him to be or who I thought he was, um, you're high off your batoon if you whatever the fuck that is. If uh, if you're doing an issue movie about something where a great many people suffered and died no see i don't i don't think i don't think you want that i don't think you really want that because then that's every speech even if like a multiple winner speech comes up that's everybody feeling like they have to address like the mealstone around a narrative's neck which i don't think necessarily has to happen that way 10 minutes being like yeah, you know, these are the. He know, actually the had a PowerPoint thing. presentation that he was going to give about the history <laughs> yeah, of the Matt, HIV if, epidemic, if, but there wasn't Matt, time. But I mean, I would a rather way Matthew. To, Mc, to just I would rather acknowledge to the world that you're aware of the gravity of the story you're telling. See, if, if I would rather Matthew McConaughey sell Matthew McConaughey because that's what he's good at, than attempt to do lip service to something and like fuck it up beyond repair. I think that would tarnish what I thought of Matthew McConaughey even more. If it's like, oh, he tried to talk about. AIDS or queer rights and instead said something weird about God and himself. Like, I like that those two things are separate. And if he's the one winning the award, I'm not going to bash him for talking about how great he is. That's the one time I think it's socially acceptable for Matthew McConaughey to say that in front of a whole bunch of people. Katie was worried yeah. that we were going to go after God in this conversation. Yeah, we'll save that yeah. for the next Soul Surfer review. <laughs> um, can I wrap us Katie. up by talking about yeah, the you're the pick? Yeah, you're the last one. So I was sitting here today and thinking about, I don't know, Oscar history because that's the thing that I do, and started wondering uh, at what point 12 Years a Slave would start to be misremembered as the kind of issue slavery is bad movie that in the uh, traditional stereotype the Academy loves, but that unless you're Dave Gonzalez, and we may or may not argue this later, uh, I don't think 12 Years a Slave is that movie. I think it's a more artistically interesting, dynamic, and uh, uncompromising movie than you know, something that would be a more traditional period piece. I mean, Forrest Gump is the one that keeps coming to mind, which isn't really an appropriate comparison. But you know what I'm talking about, like the kind of oatmeal movies that you feel like you have to swallow so you can learn an important lesson about the past. And I think 12 Years a Slave is a much better movie than that. So I started wondering kind of the long view of when that would happen. And then I read this idiotic piece on the L magazine website that said basically that, like it was a, it was a victory for middle-brow message movies. 
And that drove me completely crazy. Setting aside this one single piece, I kind of wonder in general how we think 12 Years a Slave will be reflected by history as a Best Picture winner. Like, is this a kind of movie that winning Best Picture helps people understand it better? Will it help people miss, like, it, uh, understand it improperly? And then at the sa- on the same token, like, does it reflect better on the Academy that they gave the prize to this? I mean, if they'd given it to Philomena, I think we'd all be burning down the Kodak Theater by now. Um but, I mean, to the first question, do you like, is anyone with me in thinking that people are going to misremember 12 no. Years a Slave as a result of this? I no. know you're not, David. I don't Boring. think anyone has seen 12 Years a Slave, so it shouldn't be a problem. <laughs> I mean, by anyone, you mean many people. Well, I, I don't um... know if it – I mean, it hasn't made that much money. It hasn't been that no. big a hit, I don't no, think. No, I mean, I'm not, dis- I'm not disagreeing with you. And I think a lot of people haven't seen I it. I think yet. the difference here is that 12 Years a Slave will actually become an essential educational film. Over the years, I think people will show I that agree. film in schools, and yeah, that's the stamp of quality. You were never going to get that shown in my high school. That well, would never have happened. Really? Well, Why? Yeah, I... it's got way too much violence and profanity, and nothing. None of that stuff would have made it. Mm. I think. I think you got Katie is thinking about this backwards. I think that the reason that we look at the movies that have won the Academy Award as being sort of oatmeal movies is because they have been oatmeal movies. But we need to stop empowering the Academy. We need to realize that. Um, nobody is going to like who gives a shit about the Academy Awards nobody's going to look at 12 Years a Slave that way the well most people do but besides you people have to you. see it first no but I, I'm saying like the film the reason that those films like they're driving Miss Daisy or whatever else perpetuate those legacies is because the movies enforce them because the movies are awful I think that 12 Years a Slave as th- at least three of us can agree is the kind of movie that it's simply not going to allow for that legacy. It's not going to allow for the tarnish of the Academy Award to actually have any meaning to it. It's really difficult, if not impossible, uh, to but imagine I, a situation I would, in which somebody would say, this is a OVO movie that won because it was like liberal, whatever, Academy Awards. someone already said and then that. They, but well, they, that person was just looking for trouble. They were looking for the sort of reaction. Well, I think the problem them. is, David, there's so, like many people, there's so many people like you who dismiss the Oscars that you almost have to empower the Oscars when they take a chance on a movie like 12 Years a Slave because they've done something right. They've taken a risk. It's not an oatmeal movie that they've celebrated that in the past. That doesn't contradict what I'm saying at all. I mean, I'm saying that you know, the, uh, again, the movie is going to speak for itself. I don't think that the Academy Award uh, is going to do anything to hurt it. I think the Academy Award will simply shine attention on it. But if it you're a perpetual sh- Oscar hater, then you're inevitably going to start writing off. Like, it seems like that article is coming from a place of, of dismissal of all of the Oscars for all eternity. So then what happens but, I mean, when David, the Oscars I'm thinking start of the you, skewing their I'm thinking sensibilities? of the you of 20 years from now who isn't aware of the, a, the a, me of 20 years, years from now who yeah, the, the pers- Godfather and the Godfather Part 2? No, I'm thinking hates- of someone who's trying to learn, yes. you know, trying to start with where they're learning about <laughs> We've come film from the culture future. and can say, oh, 12 Years a Slave, that's a hard movie to watch. I mean, are, are people catching up with Schindler's List first thing? Because that's a Best Picture winner that's not regarded as a masterpiece of filmmaking that been partly maybe because what? it won Best Picture. Is it no, not? I don't think that that's not. That's you think not, it's not Schindler's List is not regarded as a masterpiece. Start with Schindler's List when they're trying to like bone up on their film culture. I think I that's think, one that people avoid. I think it's a recent, very disturbing slate piece uh, made clear. <laughs> people don't watch Schindler's List because they're afraid of atrocity movies and they don't know how to approach them. Well, isn't uh, that the same problem that Twelve Years a Slave is going to face? It might, but certainly the Oscars are going to play a factor in one another. People don't look at Schindler's List as a lightweight thing as some sort of like you know empty-hearted plea to uh you know the suffering of the jews because it won the oscar i'm saying that i don't think the fact that 
12 Years a Slave won the Oscar is when we force people to look at it the way we look at Mrs. Driving Mrs. Daisy. We look at the Oscars worse because they awarded Driving Mrs. Daisy Best Picture. We don't look at Driving Mrs. Daisy worse because it won the Oscar. Nobody would think about it twice if it didn't win the Oscar. But when we do think about it, we think about it in a poor way because it's a poor movie that reflects a more antiquated way of thinking. I see what you're – I mean I, I see your argument, and I don't think anyone is going to say 12 Years a Slave is a bad movie. I just want more people to see Dave. it, and I do worry that there's a certain group of people who will be able to write it off. I'm being very easily. quiet until, <laughs> until I know but where all think, the arguments Katie, are. Do you think that, do you think that the uh, – some of the one of the accusations that's been thrown against Twelve Years a Slave is that it is, uh, and I certainly don't agree with this, but that it's sort of atrocity porn and that it's uh, very very difficult. But do you think that um, the the grueling element of the experience of watching this movie is actually going to help it resist that reputation of being uh, the sort of oatmeal movie that you were referring to? Because I think it might. I would assume so, but at the, I mean, at the same time, I feel like. That also helps people say, oh, it's a really painful experience. It tells me that I that slavery was bad. That's something I already know. I'm going to skip it. And I think that it's more interesting for that and could I, – I don't, I don't know. I mean well, this is me assuming the worst of people who assume the worst of the Oscars. I think 12 Years a Slave is a good movie because it says a lot more than you know, slavery is bad. And I understand that you, know, you could agree with that and still not have faith that future generations will take time to watch it. Um, but – at the same time, if everybody so immediately agrees that slavery is this terrible thing and understands the full extent of what that means and how we got to that point, then if they don't want to see 12 Years a Slave, I'm okay with that. Uh, I think that the important part of your argument that I want to respond to is the idea that people will think less of the movie because of one best picture, uh, and I don't think that's going to happen. Good. My, my Dave, sim- would you, would you, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, go. Oh, go ahead, Pat. No, no you, Dave, you Dave, is, Dave. Dave is throwing into this uh... – to 12 years i have a continuation comment dave i mean i'm partially with david in the sense that i i don't think that uh, uh, no okay maybe i should just not connect to anybody um i i think that there is a certain sect of people that are going to look down on it more because the academy honors things like uh driving miss daisy and crash and if that's people's introduction to 12 Years a Slave, then that might, you know, carry a certain weight with it that I don't think is necessarily a positive one in terms of race cinema. Uh, but if I think 12 Years a Slave is very valuable, regardless of your opinion of the movie, and I still hope most valuable to people that are interested in cinema as part of Steve McQueen's series of films and less so as like this best picture, best of the best picture or best of a decade or even worthy or not, which some of us don't think that it necessarily is. I mean, I don't, I don't think that it's necessarily as a slavery narrative is the, the best thing to be elevated any higher than anything else that's one best picture. I mean, I, I mean, I just imagine most people are going to come across it in the context of this is a movie that won Best Picture, not this is from the same guy who made Hunger and Shame. Like, <laughs> no, they definitely won't come of, like, at it. But right. Anyway. I'm thinking but of it a generalist perspective. I mean, and uh, and so you think they're going to think less of a race narrative of that? Like, no, that not less of a less race of a narrative, but they're just going to say this is going to be a hard movie to watch and it won Best Picture, so it's probably pretty simplistic and not as interesting as – 
I don't even know. I don't think I worry. Yeah, it seems like it's shame, the outlier, maybe. if anything, or a, or a sea change for the academy. It'll be we'll we'll have a better perspective on what you're talking about, Katie, in a couple of years, obviously, sure. because we're talking well, about distance. Well, but it, well, but there's there I, was a sea change. I mean, we have No Country for Old Men win Best Picture, which is a really interesting atypical win, and then we had stuff like The Artist and, and um, The King's Speech and Argo and stuff like that. That one that kind of seemed like a, a you know reverting to more safer stuff like that. So this pick is kind of interesting if you're trying to see a sea change in the academy. It kind of that narrative isn't as straightforward as a lot of luckily they didn't have does. better options this year well they it's, had gravity they could have made it gravity it's it's interesting because the way that i wa- have watched best picture winners in the past that you know obviously are from years that i didn't live from seeing is it's really easy to know why or to feel why it shouldn't have won best picture but it's actually more interesting to try to figure out why it did by looking mm-hmm. to I don't know, try to see what resonated in that particular year in history or in that group of films. So in that sense, it's not completely useless, even though I do think it was sort of a slave narrative engineered to win Best Picture this year. Oh, my God. But what so are you going to do? Engineered so to do that. Um, my cynical fear after 12 Years a Slave wins Best Picture um, is that we won't get more narratives like this. As, as we move forward. Like more slavery narratives? Yeah, and just more black history, which I... I'm, good. I just yell. I mean, not good, but, but this particular... <laughs> Screw black history. This, Dave Goodman. This, this particular take on it, I think there are plenty of amazing examples that you could go and get the actual narrative of. I would like to see, you know, there's a certain amount of honesty that has to go into art, right? And I think we've moved beyond the basic conversation i think we're ready for the next level of what that conversation is i guess no, i disagree like i would like i would like to see so movies many important people who are part of you know the the abolishment of slavery and all of all of black history's stories and uh you know i i am often seen causing a ruckus about a harriet tubman never have been she's never been portrayed on screen other than an abraham lincoln vampire hunter um, and I have a that problem is, with that. That is madness. <laughs> I mean, that makes sense. But, but like, like, I don't. Something I'm, that was on the cynic in to me. Take the story that was on the Vanity Fair website about Patsy from Twelve Years a Slave. That I found an infinitely more interesting delving into the actual realities of slave narratives than watching somebody live through the horrible atrocities of being a slave. Like, that narrative is something that I would say is the next level of, like, how these various institutions dealt with it. But does the industry other work races dealt with in it? that way? Like, will we see more of these stories told? Um, or have we, like, exhausted it? Can you... Are you talking in terms of slavery or black history? It's just interesting to me how much of the same we can cram into every single year in terms of blockbusters. Like, there's a lot of sameness, obviously. We bemoan this fact every summer. Um, yet, when it comes to something like uh, a, a slavery narrative uh historical document, uh we can't ha- we, we can't replicate that because it seems like it's too soon for another one it doesn't make business well, sense to have a, something so this is close a different, this is a different example but in terms of black history i mean 42 is a sizable hit and that guy who uh, chadwick boseman is going to be in a james brown biopic you know, it's a very different, much more pop culture friendly version of it. But that is a way that one black history story that was a hit is leading to another. Yeah, I yeah, guess or so. I mean, specifically with, 
or even the gap between driving Miss Daisy and Twelve Years a Slave, if you want to make any comparisons. But that's oh, a God. leap forward. That that's a leap forward in terms of portraying you yeah, know I mean, people really beyond that, archetypes. Is it really all that different from the idea of you know Kate Blanchett going on stage and saying Blue Jasmine made a lot of money? Movies with female protagonists can make money. Let's make more of them. I mean, I think rather than saying it's necessarily going to lead to more slavery narratives um, or the temptation to make them, which wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing, uh, couldn't it simply say, hey, this is just another reminder that movies uh, I hope so. protagonists But I even got that feeling in my that... gut when Kate Blanchett made that comment. I'm like, I hope I, – I just imagine that falling on deaf ears. Like I don't – I don't see sure, things mean. change. Like even something as financially well, but, successful like, as Frozen, is, which the, has hit in a cultural way, it just doesn't seem like it will really The thing about Kate Blanchett's things. speech is that there's a Best Actress winner every year. So there's some movie every year that people are seeing that is making money that stars a woman. And I think while her point is obviously you know, very true and, and in dire need of being listened to, I think the people in power – uh, are not going to see her words or the success of Blue Jasmine as being. We only need five movies with strong female leads in a given year. As long as we can fill exactly. those slots. And sometimes you don't even need that many, as seen by Reese Witherspoon winning Best Actor. But, but I mean, we're also making progress. In the, like, if we were to draw the comparison, if like Kate Blanchett won for you know Best Actress for Blue Jasmine, and then the next year the response was re-release Nine to Five and get it nominated for Best Picture. Oh my god, like, please. Can we do that? Uh, oh, I'm saying that's not an evolution <laughs> of the narrative. In okay, 3D. 9 to 5, <sighs> 3D. I'm just saying it's a completely di- we're seeing we're still seeing characters going more in depth in these sort more niche genres and that doesn't mean that we have to give up on them, but that does mean I think that we have to evolve the narrative that we're awarding as best. You know? Um, in terms of actresses or in general, I lost you there. Um, I, I mean, whether it's, you know, parts for women, interesting women characters and interesting narratives about sex or AIDS or whether it's about, you know, slave narratives like we were talking about with 12 Years a Slave. I think that we've moved beyond the simplistic narrative and have made steps to do that in the Best Picture winners of Oscars. I just think, you know, we need to move to it different higher standard that's what i always think i guess with the academy awards and yeah, no one will really take that movies. chance i mean it's well, just not yeah. happening the nominees are getting better every year i think i mean not every year it kind of goes up and down but the crop of movies nominated for best picture in general are better than they were 10 years ago that's because only well, megan ellison only megan ellison is financing best picture nominees at this point so. <laughs> Yep, that's I don't true. know if it was the I don't know if it was the long gap in between the nominees and the actual ceremony because the Olympics this year, but I did notice a lot more discussion of the actual movies amongst my peers, which was nice. Nice. Well, there's a lot more discussion about everything these days, thanks to people constantly being uh, able to talk and uh, film podcasts. God. Yeah. The yeah. Worst. I guess I guess that's the end of Oscar but season. But you look at like well, no, but you look at. Uh, like the best picture nominees from uh, from like nineteen, like from the seventies, and I mean it's just insane how far we've fallen. Um, yeah, but look at where we were ten years ago when Seabiscuit was getting nominated for best picture. We've gone, yeah, that's, we've that's we've rough. moved, we've made our way back up. I will give you Seabiscuit. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>
That does it. That, oh my god, shut up. <laughs> that does it for today's fighting in the war room. I'm just going to talk over you guys laughing. We'll be back on Friday with a review of something. Uh, we'll figure out what that is at a later date. It's going to be exciting. It's a thrill minute. Uh, in the meantime, tell the people who you are. I am Matt Patches. I am a writer, and I'm on the internet. You can find me on Twitter at Mr. Patches. I have a Tumblr at mattpatches.com where I put all my writing. And uh, remember, you can participate in the podcast. How? Go to fightinginthewarroom.com. We have comments. You can tweet the reviews with your own thoughts, and we'll see them because we're addicted to checking Twitter. Um, you, it's it's a, a communication center for the podcast. Fightinginthewarroom.com. Uh, I'm David Ehrlich. You can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich and at film.com. And if you're listening to this uh, the week that it airs, you can find me at South by Southwest. Uh, come say hi. I'm the dude who looks like the dude on the Fighting in the War Room website and a lot of other dudes. Anyway, uh, you can find all of us together on Facebook at Fighting in the War Room, which is a great way to converse with us directly because uh, we are there and you are there. And let's do that together. And sometimes Brad Patches comes to fight with us. Yeah. That's true. Uh, I'm Dave Gonzalez. I spell my first name DA7E. That's also my Twitter handle. I write at latito-review.com. You can call us and leave us a voicemail, which I encourage you do because a lot of our old voicemails start with hello, Opkino, and we don't say that on the podcast anymore. So call us at 914-410-6450 and get us started arguing or singing, as we've learned recently. Everybody, you want to sing Let It Go instead of me giving my Twitter handle? No? Let it go. No, not this week. Oh, sorry. Let it go. <laughs> I'm Katie Rich. You can find me on Twitter at Katie Rich or at Vanity Fair's Hollywood, where there's so much Oscar coverage, you guys. There's just there's a lot going on. Uh, you can also find the entire podcast on Twitter at FITWR, where you can answer this week's lightning round question, which is... In honor of Peabody and Sherman, what's your favorite movie dog? And thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you about something on Friday. The cold doesn't bother me anyway. Yeah.